Hi, I'm Wayne Heinsohn, the pastor of Grace Church Australia. Thanks so much for checking out this podcast. We hope it is inspirational and it equips you to make known the name of Jesus. You can stay connected with us during the week by going to gracegathering.online. Okay, so in line with his kingdom, the topic you've been doing this month, I'm going to be speaking on preparing for his kingdom. So as I said, I believe there's a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit coming here. I believe the glory of the Lord is going to be manifested in the church unlike we have ever seen before church. It's coming and I believe there's a great harvest coming in, a great harvest of souls coming in. And I believe it's about to happen And the Lord wants to prepare his bride. He wants to prepare his church and get us ready. So I'm going to speak on Matthew 22, verse 1 to 14 up first. And it says, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle are ready, are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways and as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have a wedding garment on. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. And another version of that, that last verse says, for everyone is invited to enter in, but few respond in excellence. So let's talk about today what it is to respond in excellence. But first I want to look at the invitation. So here in Matthew 22, we see Jesus' own words. His kingdom, the kingdom of God, is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. We see the king has sent out his servants with invitations because the wedding feast is ready. The king has prepared a place for everyone willing to attend. He has abundance and it's literally ready to eat. He's prepared a feast in in anticipation for many to come, many guests, only to discover that no one is coming because they all had more important things to do, or so they thought. There is so much to glean from this scripture, so much wisdom, instruction, and even correction by the grace of God for us. Our Father God has prepared a place for each and every one of us at his table. 
When we receive salvation, it's like giving our RSVP to him, saying, we will be there one day with you at your table for the wedding feast of the Lamb to be gloriously joined with Jesus. However, the cares of the world come and so easily can distract us from that end goal and the most monumental occasion of our lives, of our existence. And the invited guests here said that they had a farm to tend to and a business to run. And these are good things. These are good responsibilities in our life. They're not bad things, they're good things. But the value we place on our Father God and his kingdom must always come first and foremost over every responsibility and even good things in our life. As Matthew 6:37 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So one key in this parable is actually to discern the value of the invitation, to recognize that there is no greater honor than to join our savior at the wedding feast. And too often in everyday life, many of us can take the coming of Jesus without meaning to. We can take it lightly. We can think of it as a far-off event that might be many years or a lifetime away. I can't even tell you how many people have said to me, oh, but Jesus won't come for at least 100 years. Because that, and you know, we don't know the day or the hour, but that way of thinking is taking it lightly. And we don't want to be found like these guests who took this invitation lightly. Reality is he is coming and he has actually asked us throughout his word, the bride, to be ready to prepare yourself, to prepare ourselves. So we see here the garments are important because this um, guest didn't have his garment on. For so, for, so for us as the bride of Christ, our garment is important and Ephesians 5, 26, 27 tells us, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So it might just be me, but when I get an invitation to a wedding, after I've RSVP'd yes, the first thing I think about is my outfit. <laughs> might be a girly approach to it, but. Um, I love to prepare my outfit and think about what I'm going to wear. But, you know, we actually need to be approaching the wedding feast of the Lamb the same way. We actually, in our everyday life, have to be thinking about our garments, what we are wearing. And so your outfit for a wedding might not be the first thing on your mind if you're going to a wedding. It might not be something you plan until the last minute, the last hour even. But church, let me tell you, we are in the last days. We are in the last hour, in the last hours. And we need to be taking this seriously. The word says to prepare, to get our garments ready. So we need to be doing that now. So it says about the garments, not having spot or wrinkle. So that's referring to the state of our garments. How do you get rid of wrinkles in a garment? You iron them. So that's applying hot pressure. You press them. So when the heat is on in life, when you're under pressure, these are the moments that are opportunities to allow your character to be refined for his glory. Like pressing of olives produces the oil. The crushing of grapes produces the wine. The pressing your garments 
is the act of refining so that when you are under pressure and when you are squeezed, what comes out of you is glorifying to him. So that when he pours out that spirit, that Holy Spirit, when he pours out that glory on the church, that we will be able to steward it well. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 10, it says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power of God may power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Pressure often comes before promise. And we see that so all throughout the word of God, but specifically looking at the life of Jesus, before he fulfilled the greatest calling on his life, he went through immense pressure. In the Garden of Gethsemane, which that name actually means olive press, it's the place, he was in the place of pressing. He went through so much pressure. Church, don't be surprised if you find yourself in pressurized, difficult situations and circumstances in your life. They are, there is a purpose that God wants to work through those circumstances. He wants to prepare us in the pressing for the greatest outpouring of his glory the church has ever seen. And it's in these moments of pressure we can choose complete surrender to him, complete surrender to God, so that we actually die to ourselves and our own desires, and we truly align our lives with him in the midst of difficulty. Because when we align with his death, in our suffering, we align with his death, that means we also align with his resurrection, his resurrection power. So then what comes next? When the, when the church, when we truly die to ourselves with him in his death, we allow the resurrection to come and then the church begins to outpour from the resurrection life and that's when the power comes. That's when we see the body of Christ truly, Christ himself truly magnified through the body of Christ. So Romans 6, 5 to 14 says... For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, and the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. And the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. It's his grace that enables us to live in obedience. 
We are to present ourselves in righteousness to God, which brings me back to the garments. So what exactly are the garments? Revelation 19, 7 to 8 tells us, let us rejoice and shout for joy. Let us give him glory and honor for the marriage of the lamb has come at last and his bride, the redeemed, has prepared herself. She has, permitted, she has been permitted to dress in fine linen, linen, dazzling white and clean. For the fine linen signifies the righteous acts of the saints, the ethical conduct, personal integrity, moral courage, and godly character of believers. And that's the amplified version. I just love how it broke it down like that and explained part of the righteous acts of the saints. So what actually are the righteous acts of the saints? Matthew 25, 34 to 36 tells us, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. So there's righteousness and there's righteous acts. We have become righteous through Jesus, his blood, his sacrifice. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. But, you know, we are actually also called to do righteous acts. And this is not works-based. This is Jesus-based. It's dying to self and allowing his resurrection power to guide our lives. It's being his hands and feet. It's living because of him and his righteousness, but then living for him and out of his righteousness. We receive freely from him, so we freely give. Jesus instructed his disciples in Matthew 10, 6 to 8, and this is how he instructs us also. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Righteousness we have been given freely. So now freely give righteous acts as his disciples. We truly know the power of his resurrection life, in our life, when we've died to ourselves and allow his resurrection to come through us. And in his resurrection power, he transforms us, our lives, from selfish to selfless and Christ-focused. Where there is death to our own selfish ambition, Jesus, for Jesus, there is resurrection, and the resurrection is our life in his power, in our life in his power and righteousness in and through us. So in Philippians 3, 8 to 10, it says, Yes, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of things, and count them as rubbish, 
that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. It's suffering with him in our life situations. It refines us and then brings his resurrection life through us. So now coming back to the parable in Matthew 22. For many are called, but few are chosen. We, we read that at the end of the passage, that few are chosen. And that's because of what Matthew 7 says, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. We're all called, but few decide they truly want to endure living a crucified life where it's not about us and actually endure uncomfortable character refinement and die to self. That's why few are chosen, because few truly yield to him, to the Holy Spirit, and it's not an easy road. But it is a blessed road, and it is a fruitful road, and it is a beautiful road, but it's not an easy one. And that's why this guest found himself at the wedding without the correct garment and that he was speechless. He was probably shocked. But reality is throughout the word, the Lord is calling us to be prepared. We are in his righteousness. We also have to put on these righteous acts and live the crucified life and obey him in order to glorify him for his kingdom. He's calling us to take the road less traveled. We actually need to respond to him in obedience, and that's putting on the garments of righteousness. John 14, 15 to 18 says, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him, because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him. That's us, church. We know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you, and that's us now. He is in us. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. So in other words, John 14, 15, 18, it's saying obey him. You're not alone. You've got the Holy Spirit. He's going to help you. The world won't always like it. They won't always get it. But Jesus is coming back, and it's of paramount importance. Jesus wanted his disciples to really catch this, so much so that he repeated the same thing a few lines down. In John 14, 23, he said, Jesus answered, If anyone really loves me, he will keep my word, my teaching, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling place with him. So that's the dying to self and putting on the righteous garments, the righteous acts of the saints. Righteous acts is not what saves us. Jesus saves us. The righteous acts are a sign of a life truly surrendered and yielded to him. Righteous acts are the fruit of living a crucified life. So let's look at another way we can prepare ourselves for his kingdom. So another way is the washing of the word. 
So back to Ephesians 5, 26 to 27 again. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. The washing of water by the word. Another way we prepare is being cleansed by the washing of the word, his word, and filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so think about this literally. It's not just a nice expression or a point. It's actually a point of application. Do you wash yourself in the word as often as you have a shower? This is actually a daily practice. You have a shower every day. Do you wash yourself in the word every day? It's an actual point of application. We wash ourselves in the word. Romans 12, 1-2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The renewing of your mind, it's the washing of your mind by the word. You know, when you have a shower every day, you come out smelling like the soap or the body wash you've used. And you know what? The same is true for the word of God. When we daily wash ourselves with his word, we come out smelling like it, or at least speaking like it and thinking like it. Because it's become such an integral part of who we are. And we have renewed our mind with it. And you know, when you've been in the Word of God and you meet another person who's been in the Word of God, you recognize it straight away because their, lo- their words are full of life and, and they smell like it. They, they carry the presence of being in the Word. It can't be fabricated with anything else. You can't, you can't pretend that you have it, you only get it by being in the Word daily. There's no shortcuts. It's having a daily shower in the Word every day, cleansing ourselves in it. 2 Corinthians 2.15 says, We have become the unmistakable aroma of the victory of the anointed one to God, a perfume of life to those being saved and the odour of death to those who are perishing. The unbelievers smell a deadly stench that leads to death, but believers smell the life-giving aroma that leads to abundant life. And who of us can rise to this challenge? I love that. Who of us can rise to this challenge to be carrying the fragrance of the Word, the Holy Spirit? So keeping in theme with the wedding feast, let's look at another wedding. Jesus' first miracle, here in John 2, 5 to 12. So we're coming straight in at where Jesus' mother, she responds to the servants after she's told Jesus they have no wine left. And his mother says to the servants, whatever he says, do it. And I just love that line. If we, church, if we could just catch that line and actually respond to it, whatever he says to you, do it. It's as simple as that. How good is that? I just love that line. Now there were set 
there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Do you know, every word in the Bible has significance. And here we see six water pots. And even that's significant because Jewish numbers and letters are more complex than ours. They have layers of meaning and um, often six um, is often referred to representing uh, the works of man. So now it's really interesting because these six pots here were used for Jew Jewish purification ritual to bring cleansing according to the law. So the number in historical context is significant here. This is a picture of Jesus taking the works of man, the vessel of man that are used for purification according to man's standards, the old law, and replacing it with the new wine which represents his blood, that these vessels need not be used for their old purpose any longer. Because Jesus has fulfilled every requirement of the law. He has repurposed these six vessels, that they are given a new purpose and filled with wine that comes from Jesus. It's a picture of us, church. We are the vessels. As the servants responded in obedience and filled the vessels to the brim with water, this is Jesus' requirement of us. We need to respond obediently and fill ourselves with so much of the Word and the Holy Spirit to the brim. And as we do that, our lives become an offering to Him. And what will flow out from us is the new wine that only Jesus can enable. And as the master of the feast was so pleased by the quality of the wine at the end of the wedding, so too the father is so pleased when he sees that we have become a vessel for his son and the new wine, the blood of Jesus, we are filled and the new wine pours out of us. for his glory. He transforms us and our lives are then ready to be poured out as a drink offering and poured out for his glory in the final days, in the final hours. And I believe that's what we're entering into, church. And just like the best wine was reserved until last, God pours out his spirit upon us in the last days. As Acts 2.17 says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out 
of my spirit on all flesh. And coming back to that last verse, the the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. When we are filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit and the word of God and Jesus transforms us and we are filled with the new wine of Jesus, when we pour that out as an offering to him, when our lives are poured out for his glory, that is when his glory is manifested on earth in the church and that is when people will see and believe. And that is what will precede and bring in the greatest harvest the church has seen. That is the outpouring in the last days and that is what is coming and that is what he is wanting to prepare us for, church, to fill us with his presence, to fill us with his word, to prepare us, to fit us with the garments of righteousness so that we can be ready to serve as he does. Church, we need to be ready. He who believes in me, who adheres to, trusts in, and relies on me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being will flow continually rivers of living water. That's John 7:38. When we're full of him, it bubbles up into a river, it flows out, and it blesses others. This is the living waters that fills us, the word of God, the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't fill us just to cleanse us, though it does. It fills us in order to flow out to build his kingdom. So we need to be ready not only to inherit his king, the kingdom of God as individuals in the church, we need to be ready to bring it to others. Just like the king had many available seats and sent out his servants to invite others in. This is the harvest, to bring others in. I believe we're about to see a glorious shift in the church where the fear of the Lord is restored, where the church no longer compromises and we see greater measure of his spirit poured out upon us for those who are ready. And just like Jesus did those miracles and the disciples believed, we are going to see the outpouring of the new wine in the church. We are going to see the miracles in the church. We are going to see the work of the Lord in us and through us in the church for his kingdom, for his glory, for the harvest to come in. In John 4, 35, it says, you know the saying, four months between planting the harvest, but I say, wake up and look around The fields are already ripe for harvest. Jesus came and told his disciples in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And he's telling us today, church, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of age. Then he said to the disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray 
the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. The workers are few, just like many are called but few are chosen. Because that few, that few are, those are the ones that have surrendered their life. They have gone through the process of the pressing, of the crushing, the character refinement that allows the Holy Spirit to guide them and call the shots. They've died to their own selfish ambitions and they've allowed the Holy Spirit to lead the way, to lead their hands and feet, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So church, it's time to get prepared and to become those people, to become the few, to put on those garments, the righteous acts of the saints, to be living out of the righteousness of God. You know, we've all received his righteousness. If you've received Jesus, you've received his righteousness. But are we truly living out of the acts of righteousness that are the fruit of that righteousness of him? We need to be washing ourselves in the word, in and out of season, being ready. Because the harvest is coming and many are coming into the church. I truly believe. I know it. That is what the Holy Spirit is saying. It's coming. Get ready. Get ready. It is coming. His kingdom is here on earth as it is in heaven. And we are going to see the manifestation of it. We're going to see an influx of people. And he's saying get ready. And getting ready is not about getting bigger buildings and more seats. It's about being filled with the Holy Spirit, equipped and knowing who you are in Christ, being ready to pour out to bless others, to speak with the words the Holy Spirit gives you, to evangelise the way he has led you to do it. So that's really sums up what I believe the Holy Spirit is saying at the moment, is in preparing for his kingdom. It is like the wedding feast. It's a real-life event. I feel like, you know, I've grown up in church and I've read many of those parables before and I've read about the wedding feast of the lamb and when you become familiar so familiar with Jesus with the word sometimes it's really easy to take it lightly and to not really discern the true value and we really need to come back to a place of the fear of the Lord and recognize the true and sacred value that is in his word that the the wedding feast of the Lamb is a real-life event. Jesus is coming, and we need to be ready for him and not thinking of him coming as in, in a little while he'll come and we're okay for now, at least we're saved, you know. But think about him coming at any moment, and our lives should reflect that every day. Be in his word, wash yourself, just like you have a shower, wash yourself with the word every day. I challenge you. He is so good and he is so faithful. And when we do that, when we surrender our lives to him, you will see such beautiful fruit in your life and such a beautiful aroma of his word and his spirit surround you. And people will notice. You will see the shift and the difference. To hear more podcasts from Grace Church Australia, make sure you subscribe and stay connected by going to gracegathering.online.